If you've been reading along with us in the story, it's the story of God throughout the Bible, or if you've read Genesis before on your own, what what happens is sometimes um, in a few sentences, in a few words, whole generations are covered. There's lists just simply of genealogy that is somebody gave birth to this person, they gave this person, and then within a few few lines, a few words, it's like skip forward like three, four, five, seven hundred years. And other parts in the story of scripture grind down to slow motion and great detail and almost to the place of stopping in time and to say, hey, look, focus and look and listen to this this story or even just this, this one day this even episode, that scripture records these these moments that are in great detail and cover just a little bit of time and space, but have great hope and reality and truth for us as we read it today. And we're going to look at one of those this morning together. It's an episode in the life of, of one family that takes place on one day, and it's in great detail, and it's kind of slow motion. And so as we look at this episode, what, what we're going to see, what we're going to hear, what we're going to picture with our minds is this, this family There's four actors in this story. There's four members of a family. And it's this episode that takes place between these four family members, but it's about how everything gets torn apart and everything gets torn down and kind of falls apart. And there's a lot of bad things that happen in a very short amount of time. And it's this this family that's torn apart. And yet the story is actually about something that's built up. The story is actually an invitation to you and I today about something in our lives that can grow and flourish and become stronger and greater. And so I want us to look closely and carefully at at this story, this episode that happens in one family over the course of one day. Let me back up a little bit and set the scene for you. If you've you've not read Genesis, the first 11 chapters basically tell how God created this beautiful universe and creation and how humanity then went against his will and, and made quite a mess of things. And then God steps in and the way that he steps in is he picks one person, he picks Abraham and he says, Abraham, it's through you that I'm going to heal this whole creation, this whole planet and humanity in it. And he blesses them. And Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 gives this great promise of this is what I'm going to do through you. And then Abraham eventually has Isaac. And we looked at a crazy, dramatic story last week in the life of Abraham and Isaac. And then Isaac marries Rebekah. And through Isaac and Rebekah, they have twins Esau is firstborn, Jacob is secondborn, but they're born on the same day, just a few seconds or minutes apart. Esau and Jacob, they have, have twins. As the twins grow up, uh, it gets this point to where Isaac becomes an old man and he loses his sight. And he's not sure as he starts to lose his kind of faculties, he says, I, I don't know how much longer I'm going to live. And so he goes to his firstborn son. He says, hey, come in here. Come on in here. And he says, I, I want to I bless you. I want to give you your birthright. And so here's what we're going to do today. You're going to go and take your equipment, which for him was a, a, a bow and a quiver of arrows. And he says, take your equipment and go out to the fields and hunt and bring me back some tasty food. Make some tasty food for me and, and bring it back in and serve me. I'm going to eat it. And then after I eat it, I'm going to, I'm going to bless you and give you my birthright. It's going to be kind of this fantastic day and this great gourmet meal. And then at the end of it, you're going to be blessed. You're going to, you're going to have the birthright. And, and this is going to be a great day. And so Esau thinks, great, this is the day. I'm the firstborn. I get, this, I get this ceremony. I get this right. I get this blessing. This is going to be fantastic. Rebecca, his mom, is on the other side of the tent, and she's eavesdropping and listens in to, to Isaac making this plan with Esau. And, and she doesn't like it. She prefers Jacob, the secondborn. 
And so she goes to Jacob and says, hey, your dad's about to give away the blessing, the birthright, and so I want it to go to you, and so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to make the same tasty food that Esau would make, and I'm going to give it to you, and you're going to go in and give it to him. He can't see. He's blind. He's kind of old, and so this is going to work out fine. You'll get the blessing. Jacob says, wait, 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 hold on. I like where you're going with this, but let's slow down and think this through. I'm not like my brother. I don't have hairy arms like he does. My voice isn't the same. I bathe, he doesn't. We've got some differences. So when I take the food in, dad's going to figure it out and that's not going to go well for me. And so what are we going to do? And she says, oh, I forgot to tell you. I sewed this like costume of goat skin that you're going to put on. It's going to cover your hands and your neck. And so if he touches you, it'll feel like Esau. And you're going to wear his clothes, and so you'll smell like him, and you'll be all set. Okay? Okay. Great. Ready? Go. And that's where we pick up the scene. So Genesis chapter 27, verse 18 is where we're going to start. Genesis chapter 27, verse 18 says this. He went to his father and said, my father. Yes, my son, he answered. Who is it? He's not sure. He hears his voice, but he's not sure who it is. Who is it? Jacob said to his father, I hear that again. Jacob said to his father, quote, I am Esau, your firstborn. Neither one of those things is true. It's not Esau. He's not the firstborn. He's lying. I have done as you told me, also a lie. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Isaac asked his son, uh, how did you find it so quickly, my son? Here's what Jacob says. The Lord your God gave me success. God, uh, God, God did it. So he just crossed another line. It's one thing to lie. It's another thing to, to involve God, to write God into your lie. And he's just done that. Um, God gave me success. First arrow, I killed like three of your tasty food items, whatever it was, and I brought them back, and God did it. It's kind of a miracle. Great. Then Isaac said to Jacob, come near me so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So he's blind. He can't see. Voice doesn't sound quite the same. He's not sure how it happened so fast. You know, come here. Come near me. I want to touch you and see. So Jacob went close to his father, Isaac, who touched him and said, this feels like goatskin. No, he said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. So I, Isaac touched him and, and said, this feels like Esau. He did not recognize him for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau. So he proceeded to bless him. Are you really my son, Esau? He said, so he's still not buying it right? He's touched him. He's listened to him. He's talked to him. Jacob's lied to him. He says, "Ah, are you really my son Esau? I am, he replied. Then he said, my son, bring me some of your game to eat so that I may give you my blessing. Jacob brought it to him and he ate and he brought some wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come here, my son, and kiss me. So he went to him and kissed him. When Isaac caught the smell caught the smell of his clothes. He blessed him and said, ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's riches, an abundance of grain and new wine. Get this. Blessing continues. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. 
be Lord over your brothers. And may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. So he's given him his blessing. He's saying, you're going you're to be the first among my children. You, you, that may, may God bless you and all these good things happen to you. And then he also uh, weaves in the blessing that, that Isaac's father, Abraham, got from God, that, that those who curse you will be cursed, those who bless you will be blessed, and through you all, all people will be blessed. He's, he's echoing some of that as well. Here's what happens next. After Isaac finished blessing him, and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence, his brother Esau came in from hunting. He too prepared some tasty food and brought it up to his father. Then he said to him, my father, please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. His father Isaac asked him, who are you? Sounds like Esau, but I just blessed Esau. Who are you? I am your son, he answered, your firstborn, Esau. All true. Isaac trembled violently. Trembled by, can you hear, a 137-year-old blind man trembling violently, the emotion of all of a sudden it just realizing what happened. Th- this didn't go right. I was duped. Something's gone on. Something's wrong here. Trembled violently. And he said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? Well, nobody. Your, your wife cooked the meal for him. Jacob didn't even go out and hunt it. I ate it just before you came and, and blessed him. And indeed, he will be blessed. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry. You you can picture the emotion in the moment right there. A father trembling violently, realizing something's gone wrong. He's been deceived and lied to. And a firstborn son, Esau, loud and bitter cry, wailing at what's happened. And he says to his father, bless me, me too, my father. So we've got four characters in this episode, in this story, and it's, it's, uh, it's, it's really messed up. It, it's bad, right? We've got, um, we've got lying. Uh, we've got deceit. We've got a, a, a wife lying to a husband and scheming and deceiving, uh, eavesdropping. Um, we've got a son lying to, to a father. We've got a, a father upset. Another firstborn son is, is loud and bitter crying, just wailing at, at what's been lost and missed opportunity. And his trajectory of his life, he knows, is going to be forever unlike what he wanted. Uh, and there's just this fracture and this, this tearing down, this tearing apart of trust and relationships and a family kind of coming apart at the scenes in this, in this one short episode. It didn't have to be this way. And they, they all knew that it was supposed to be different. There's something that's, that's gone on beforehand that, that, that kind of sets the stage and gives us a little context for, for how this could have been different and what God had actually intended and, and wanted for them and told them. There's a, um, two chapters earlier in chapter 25, we have this, this, this indication of what, what God wanted to do in, within this family. Um, it, when Rebecca first got pregnant, it, it, it says this or during her pregnancy. I don't know when it was along with her, in, in her pregnancy, but in chapter 25, verse 22 says this, the babies jostled each other within her. And she said, why is this happening to me? So a mom pregnant for the first time with, with twins, so she got kind of double duty right out of the gate, not, not one, but got two in there. And, and why is this happening to me? Why do I have twins and why are they moving around so much? So she went to inquire of the Lord. 
which I, I would assume any woman who's ever been pregnant, whether they believe in God or not, has at some point asked God, what's going on inside of me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. God, God says to Rebecca right there that the, that the older will serve the, the younger. He's, God, God says there's, there's two nations are in your womb, which I, I don't know if there, was a, if there was like a pregnant pause after that, but she's like, seriously, I know I'm big, God, but I mean, come on. Like really, I, my sister had a, her first pregnancy was twins. She has twin teenage sons now. And when I went to see her for the first time, I got to fly out to be with her at delivering um, I didn't get to see her at all through her pregnancy. Got out at week 38 when she delivered twins and, and said, wow, you're, you're great with child. And she says, yeah, I got two nations within me here. Like, look at this. This is, I'm huge. I have twins. And she gave birth to two healthy, good-sized, good-weight uh, little baby boys. And she's already feeling like this is, this is a, a crazy experience. This is going on. And God says, the, ultimately, the older is going to serve the younger. Now, she would have been in a culture in a time where, where the, the older always got the, the blessing and the birthright, and they would lead the family going forward. And yet, what is God doing here? God's saying, I promised to Abraham that I've got to work out a plan. I'm going to work out a plan to redeem all of humanity and all of creation, and it's going to come through your line, and it's going to come through Isaac. And he said, you're going to, you're going to, your wife Sarah will give birth to Isaac, even though you've tried it through Hagar and Ishmael. It's going to be Isaac. And then he says to to Rebecca and to Isaac. He says it's going to be through the second born, not the first. And, and Esau was born first. It turns out he was, he was hairier and, and, and different. And then the, the smooth one, Jacob, comes out and, and he's the second. He's the younger. And the older is going to serve the younger. They, they knew this. The whole family knew this. This was part of the family dynamic. They didn't maybe talk about it too often, but they, they all would have known this. Listen to what it says later, a little, little while on in, in verse 27. The boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, which that's just kind of a cool phrase. Like, I, I wish I wish I was, I'm not that, I wish I was that. I wish I was a man of, the, some of you are men of open country, women of open country. That's kind of a cool thing. I'd like to get that like on a bumper sticker or personalized license plate. This is, that's, that's not me, but that was Esau. He was a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. He was more of a homebody, hung around the tents. And, Isaac, who had a taste, this is here, this is dad, this is the father. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau. But Rebekah loved Jacob. That's, that's poor parenting technique. Okay, if, you, if you're a mom and a dad, if you have children, um, don't follow this. Don't, don't open the Bible and go, oh, honey, you pick one and I'll pick one. Or like... That's what we're supposed to do. This isn't, this isn't good. This doesn't set things up well. This is not what God intends. It's not helpful for us. I have three sons. At, at different times, they've all asked me, who do you love more? Who's your favorite? My answer has always been and will always be, I love you the most. <laughs> you are my favorite. That's what I've said to all three of them at all times, oftentimes with others of them in the room. So they all know it. Like, If you ask me, that's the answer I'm going to give you. 
when they divide like this, and, 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 I, and it's, it's not for something like you're, you've got great character, I see great potential in you, or um, I know your heart, or I just, I just have this draw to you and I love you. No, it's none of that. It's that Isaac says, you're a man of the open country. Like, you're hairier. You're, you're, you can kill things better. I pick, like, you can kill things that I like to eat, therefore I love you more. Wow, what depth, Isaac. <laughs> Thanks. And then Rebecca, obviously, she has to. If, if Esau's getting all the, all the love from daddy, she's got to go for the, the other one and go, this is the second born. This is the, 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 the uh, uh, what's the under, underdog. She's got to go for the underdog. He's left out. I'm going to, of course, mom's going to love that one. And so it, it divides the family. So you can see the tearing apart isn't just in one episode. It, it started much earlier. Once, verse 29, once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, because he's a man from the open country, if you didn't remember that, and he was famished. So he's been hunting, he comes in, he's hungry. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew, I'm famished. That is why he was also called Edom. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Good thinking. I mean, he's thinking on his feet. Like, I'm not just going after whatever animal you've drug in dead, but I, I want your birthright. Quick, give me, and then... Verse 32, look, look, I'm about to die. Which, it, what we know there is that he's, that Esau is probably, I mean, he, he's a teenager. I mean, we know that now. Like, look, I'm about to die. Really? It's, it's lunchtime. No, really, I'm about to die. I'm, just give me food, I'm about, you know, now that I read that, he could have been a, a husband or a, a dad too, so. Um, <laughs> Look, I'm about to die this instant. I haven't eaten. What good? It's actually the, the theological foundation for being hangry as well. So that, that's also, that fits within there as well. What good is the birthright to me? E- Esau, in his culture, in his time, would have been the firstborn, would have assumed that he was getting the birthright. And so if they didn't talk about it enough as a family to know that, no, no Jacob actually is going to get it. But they were just kind of drifted towards what everybody else assumed and thought and said, no, I'm going to get it. And so he says, Jacob says, now give me your birthright. And he says, okay, I'm, I'll, I'll give it to you. I'll, I'll sell it to you. It's, it's, a, it's of no use to me. What, what difference does it make? I'm under my father's household right now. I've got everything I want. In my free time, I can just go hunting whenever I want. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't have much responsibility. I'm good to go here. What, I don't need the birthright. It's not a big deal to me. But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Again, for lunch. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil still. He ate it and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Esau despised his birthright. Esau said, I don't, my, my future doesn't matter. This idea of a birthright doesn't matter. I just am hungry. I want it right now. Give it to me right now. And, and Jacob and, and Esau make the sale. And then we get to chapter 27 with our episode where the family's torn apart in one day with four characters. And we see, gosh, these guys are messed up. There's lying, there's deceit. And it's not just Rebecca and Jacob who scheme in the other room in the tent to deceive their father. But the father knows that the blessing is to go to Jacob and yet he's losing his sight. And he says, no, I still have time. I want to give it to my, the one I love. I love the firstborn. I love Esau. I'm going to give it to him. And then Esau comes in and goes, oh, I can get the birthright that I sold to my brother over an oath for lunch all those years ago. I'm going to get it back. And so there's, 
There's wrongdoing on all parts of it. Everybody's done something wrong. This family is messed up. As we see the family torn apart and there's broken trust and broken relationship, there's, there's three things that, are, that kind of stand out that, that we can relate to, that, we can ex, that we've experienced before, but that, that we can learn from in this, in this one episode. And the, and the first is, is this, and it's, it's something that we've all, we've all dipped our toe in or maybe we've just fully participated in it before. But it's this, this opportunity, this, this temptation, this, this door that always seems to be just cracked right near us of, of doing something that we know is wrong for a really good goal at the end. Of doing something that's just a little bit off of center, that's a little bit in the shadows to get us to accomplish something that's really, really good. Or, or, or to put it in, in God's terms, to do something ungodly isn't justified even if it's for something godly in the end. The God's writing his story through this family, and they all have some awareness and knowledge of what God wants to do, and they still choose to lie and deceive. And we, we all have multiple opportunities that come more frequently than maybe we even admit that, that to do something that, that we know is wrong, but can get us to a good end. It, it just works. We, we all live in a world that, that thinks and, and affirms and celebrates, do whatever it takes, whatever works to accomplish something is, is okay. And it's so easy to go along with that, especially if we don't hurt anybody else, right? If I just tell a, a, a lie that's just barely a lie, it's not even like a full capital lie, it's kind of a lowercase little lie, white lie, and no one else is ever going to know, it's okay because look what I'm I'm contributing to, or look what we're accomplishing. Or if I hold back a little bit and let somebody think differently of me because it will suit me in the end, or not fully answer a question because I, I don't want to appear to have done something wrong or to give away too much information or control to somebody else, that I can, I can just do a little something wrong because what it's going to accomplish in the end is okay. To believe that we don't need to do that, even when no one else knows, to say, no, even, even if no one else ever sees it, I'm, I'm going to do what's right and truthful and honest, actually takes faith. I'm going to trust that I'm, gonna, I'm not going to control this the way that I want to and get my hands on it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be who God's calling me to be. I'm going to be honest and truthful. That takes faith to believe that God's still going to accomplish what he's going to accomplish. And that's where all four players in this story said, no, 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 we've got to have our hands on it. We've got to control it. We've got to lie and put on a goatskin suit in order to get something that's good and do us in the end. That we're due, that we've rightly been told by God is ours. It takes faith to believe that God can actually accomplish it on his own and doesn't need our lies and manipulation to get there. That's the first thing. The second thing is this. This is a unique story in scripture in that the detail it goes into telling about Isaac's experience. It mentions all five of his senses. He's blind, he can't see. He listens to hear the voice of his son, who he knows is Jacob, but he convinces himself as Esau because he, what does he do? He touches him and feels his skin and says, no, I want to give it to Esau. I want the birthright to go to Esau. This feels like Esau. Okay, I'm going to go with that. I'm going to taste the meal that he's provided which actually my wife provided for me, and it sounds exactly the same as Esau provided it, but I don't even know. And then at the end, he smells. 
He smells him. He comes close enough and he smells his clothes on him and says, okay, this is my son Esau. This is Esau. All of his senses ended up failing him. He used all of his capacities, all of his abilities, all five of his senses to come to a decision. When we make a decision with only our capacity and we don't invite God into it, we don't have the full picture. We're limiting where we're at and what we're doing. And we're limiting our ability to make the best decision possible. Early on in my marriage, we, uh, we went through a process of buying two different cars, back-to-back, both used cars. Uh, the first one we went through this really, I don't even know how we ended up doing this, but we prayed inside of the first car we were going to buy and, and had a sense that God doesn't want us to buy this one. We prayed inside of, of another one and said, I, I think this is it. And we bought it and we had a great price on it and drove it for a number of years. And uh, just a few, like three, four years maybe. Didn't have a single problem with it. Resold it for a great price. We had our second child, Max, and needed to buy a bigger car that we all four could fit in. Family of four. When you have a family of four, it just, it, it, at least in my mind, it made sense that we really need a Suburban with leather seats. <laughs> that was my, my dream car. And I was like, my buddy had it, and he was going to sell it, give us a good price on it. Family of four, we clearly need eight seats. And they have to be leather, right? God, you, there's no way you don't want me to have this. I had just gotten a full-time job for the first time. Buddy was going to give us a great deal. I went for it and bought it. It was a, the worst car in the world. It broke down. We fixed it. It broke down worse. It cost us more money. It growled at us. It was horrible. You couldn't park it anywhere because it's a suburb. I mean, I intentionally avoided talking to God about buying that car because I wanted it. And it didn't go well. When we make decisions that we don't involve God in, we've only got our own ability, which God gives us tremendous ability, right? We're smart. We're intelligent. We're even discerning. We're capable of making plenty of decisions. But when we don't invite God into it, we have a limited picture and we don't see the whole thing. To invite God into all of our decision-making takes faith. I'm going to trust you, God, even though I might not get the truck that I want. I'm going to trust you, God, even though this doesn't happen on my timeline. I'm going to trust you, God, even if you say no when I want to hear yes. It takes faith. The third thing is this. This family is messed up. And you know what? Very few of us, and maybe perhaps none of us, need this story in Scripture to tell us what a messed up family looks like. Many of us have our own messed up families ourselves. And if we haven't, we've probably married into it or about married to marry into a messed up family or our good friends are messed up families or whatever it might be. We know what a torn apart family looks like. We don't need the Bible to say, here's what a torn up family looks like. But what we have is this story that God goes into great deal to give us to say, look at this family is not great. They're not healthy. And yet, here it is in great detail, a family that God says, Take a look at who I use. These are the people that I use. These are the people that I draft into my team. These are the resumes that I have, the people that I'm using for my purposes throughout, not just way back then, but throughout human history. It takes faith and courage to believe that God wants to use you in his story, even with all of your disqualifications even with all your lies and deceit, even with all of our brokenness and failing, that God still wants to use me and you. We, we can't opt out. We can't say, nope, God's going to use other people. 
No. His habit, his pattern, over and over and over again, is to use us as broken people. That he heals and redeems and gifts and empowers and then says, no, I'm going to use you in the world, in your lifetime, in ways that are beyond what you can imagine. And that takes faith. This is a story about a family being torn apart that gives us a great opportunity to grow and build and have our faith flourish because what we see in this story is that God is able beyond and above and through and in spite of and in the midst of a bunch of humans messing things up. That God is still able to take his promise to Abraham and work it through generation after generation after generation until all the way towards the end of our Bibles in a little letter that a guy named Paul wrote to the church in Galatia. And he writes this in chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of Allah by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith he might receive, we might receive the promise of the Spirit. We're in the story. We're the Gentiles. That God was working. He is able through anybody who wants to lie and deceive and distract and do it in their own power to continue to be faithful. And he is able to bring about the promise to us now that we get to experience and be changed by and then share with other people. That he had planned all along to bring Jesus into the world to redeem and save. Here's what I want you to do. I want to invite you to do this. Would you close your eyes with me? We're going to continue to sing and to, and to worship together and, and to, to come to these tables in front of us. As we're all invited. And this is, a, this is a scene, this is an episode for us of of literally a person being torn apart, of Jesus Christ's body nailed to a cross, beaten for me and for you, the fulfillment of the promise that, that God made through Abraham. And then he was buried in a grave and he conquered death and he rose again. And so we are come to this table knowing that God actually wants to heal and restore and put us back together and use us for his purposes in this world and that we're not disqualified from that. And so, Jesus, today we say that we, we need you and that we, we want you to help us to grow our faith in a God who is able and who is powerful and who is faithful and is unchanging and can do it without us and yet chooses to invite us into his purposes. And so, God, would you help us to, to see more of who you are and to know you and to trust you as, as our God who is able.